Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, family. I know my throat will be dry, so just getting myself sorted. Yeah, so I'm Neil. I am a software engineer by profession, and I'm working in the cryptocurrency world, so don't ask me about Bitcoin, but I think a lot about money. That's a big part of my job. So today we're carrying on with, with our series on exploring why, and today we're going to talk about why giving. Why should believers make giving a practice in their lives? So all that to say, I'm not on the church payroll. You guys, your tithes are not paying my salary. So I'm hoping to be an impartial witness here today. (laughs) Okay. So, um, yeah, giving. You know, in, in our country, in South Africa in general, we don't talk much about money. It's kind of a taboo subject. It's a little bit uncomfortable. You know, people don't really like to discuss it. And, you know, we... Yeah, we're a little bit embarrassed, but that's not the biblical attitude. The Bible actually has a lot to say about money. You know, the biggest challenge in preparing a sermon on giving is that there's so much to say in the Bible. You can almost open any page and there's something about money and something about our attitude to money. So the Bible is a lot more positive about money and finances than what we are. So I'm hoping that today we'll just get a little bit more biblical in our understanding and in our thinking, and that we'll align our hearts with how God sees it. You know, and we also don't really have a strong culture of, of giving, you know, donations, fundraising. Um, it was very striking for me when I thought about some American churches where I've seen some of their content, and they're very open to ask for donations. And, and that's not really a part of our culture. Sadly, what we see more is that our political leaders have a culture of greed. Not everyone, but a lot of them do. And our pop icons are always projecting this image of wealth on their Instagram pages or wherever you follow them. So, so our attitude as a nation towards money is like, yeah, that's, that's what I need. If I can just have money, that's, that's what life's about. But that's definitely not the biblical approach. So please turn with me, open your Bibles at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to just dive right in and see you know, what does the Bible say about this. Or you can follow on the screen. Command those who are rich. I'm reading from verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So why do we practice giving? We're going to see three things. 
Giving helps us to um, reveal our relationship with God and money. Secondly, giving is the fruit of a right relationship with God and money. And then thirdly, um, giving helps us to lay up a firm foundation for the future age. So, did you get all those Fs? That's my alliteration for the day, by the way. A firm foundation for the future age. The rest, you'll have to just um, bear with me. No more alliteration. Okay. So, first one. It reveals our relationship with God and money. Notice that it says in verse 17, command those who are rich. And it says in verse 18 again, command them to do good. It's a command. In other words, this is normal for a Christian. Right? This is not something unusual. This is how a believer in, in God ought to live. Giving ought to be part of, of how we relate to God. And the second thing that a command indicates to us is that this is not an optional thing. Now you can say, Amen or Aina, but, <laughs> but giving, whether or not you practice giving, is not going to determine whether or not you're saved. But your spiritual life, your faith, will be so much poorer without it. So that's why Paul is writing to Timothy here and saying, command them. He, said, he's, he wants him to, to bring this across strongly, that this is how we ought to live because it's for our benefit. Right? Everything the Bible says is for our benefit. Right? And so that we can have a rich relationship with God. So the first command, still in verse 17, is that the rich should not be arrogant. So in South Africa, just a bit of sort of bigger picture for you, if you earn 87,300 rand a year, you're eligible to pay taxes. So only people who, who earn more than 87,000 rand a year pay taxes. But of the almost 60 million people in our country, and granted a lot of them are children, but of all the adults in our country, there are only between somewhere between 3 and 5 million taxpayers. That means everyone else is earning less than 87,000 rand a year. So do not be arrogant. I think almost all of us here, if we compare ourselves in, on that standard, qualify as the rich. So, so this word is for you, church. It's, uh, it's not for the people that you think are rich. right? We, we tend to measure ourselves against like the richest of the rich or anything now, but I, I don't have so much, right? I, I'm actually not rich. I'm just like getting by. But if we look at the whole of our country, we are incredibly rich. And Johannesburg isn't the economic capital of the country for nothing. There's a lot more money flowing around here than anywhere else. So I'm commanding the rich today. Did you know that they estimate, now this is obviously just an estimate, that if you earn more than 11,000 rand a month, 
you're in the top 10% of all adults in the country. Yeah, the, I read something. Nobel economist Herbert Simon estimated that of all your wealth, if we're very generous with ourselves, we can only claim that maybe we've earned about 20% of everything you have. The other 80% of the wealth that you're able to accumulate in your lifetime comes from the things that we should all have in common. The things like strong institutions, law and order, um, a good family, coming from a good family, just uh, having enough to eat and you know, a healthy environment. These, these kinds of things attribute for as much as 80% of everything that we can accumulate. And other economists have followed it up and they've said, yeah, we think that is more or less, um, more or less the right number. But of course the Bible is a lot more pessimistic than that. It says nothing that you have belongs to yourself. Nothing that you are able to earn, you earned with anything that belonged to you. The talents that God gave you, the abilities, the opportunities... All of that is things that you didn't earn, that you didn't bring into the world. Right? We brought nothing into the world, and everything that we have is a gift from God. So let's not be arrogant. Then getting to, to, uh, to the first contrast in our relationship with, between God and money. He says, command them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. So, I need to ask you, where do you hope? Let's quickly read in uh, Proverbs chapter 18. And that's on the screen already. Brilliant. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Just notice that, that contrast. Right? These two, two proverbs or these two verses deliberately placed together so we can contrast. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Compare that, that the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. The name in the Bible, when you see the name, it it's like represents everything that the person is, right? The identity and the character and the essence of who of who that person is, right? So think of when uh, Jacob became Israel. He was the the trickster and the the huckster and the guy that was like always scheming and like making his own way. Until God changed his identity and he became Israel, Prince of God. Or Peter, who was, he was named Simon the Reed and Jesus changed his name to be Peter the Rock. So the name, when it says the name of the Lord, it's everything that God is. It's who he is, it's his character, it's his um, identity. And the name of the Lord is our fortified tower. It's our safety. The righteous run into it and, it's, and they are safe. Contrast that with what it says about the wealth of the rich. It says it, 
it's their fortified city. They imagine it a wall that is too high to scale. Imagine it. In other words, you are tempted as a rich person to think that your wealth is going to keep you safe, that, that your bank balance and your money or your job is going to keep you safe. But it's an it's a imagination. And we must be aware of that. Be careful where, where you put your hope. Because the thing that you ultimately hope in is the thing that you're going to serve. You, Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. Who are you going to serve? The, the, the thing that you ultimately hope in is the thing that you're going to make sure stays in place. Right? If, if your hope is in your money, if you're trusting in mammon, you're going to make sure that whatever needs to happen, you're going to keep your source of income and your investments and whatever, that's going to be your first concern. See, we, we serve what we, what we trust. And um, what we serve, that is our God. So if you hope in mammon, if you hope in your money, then God is going to just be a means to an end. You're going to say, I, I'm just going to serve God so that he can bless me so that things will go well with me and my business can flourish and that I can have the security of money. Or the other side, and this is where I hope all of us will find ourselves, is that you trust in God and then money is just a means to an end. Then your money is just a way to serve God. Money is a terrible master but it's a great servant. So, the, so let's, let's put these things in the right place and let's put our hope in God and not in money and let's make money our servant and not our master. Amen. So when it comes to arrogance, he says, do not be arrogant. That's a surface sin. But the sin underneath the sin, the the thing that's actually going on in our hearts when we are arrogant because we're rich is that we have an idolatry of money, that we've actually put our hope in it. So so if you feel I'm safe because I have money, that arrogance is actually revealing to you that you've idolized money and you've got an idolatry in your heart. So, so Paul gives us a warning here. He says, in our relationship with money, beware, because wealth is uncertain. Why is wealth uncertain? Well, firstly, wealth is, is easily lost. Right? It, it can come easily and it can go easily. It's so dependent on circumstances. And just think about... The, the amount of wealth that's been lost over the last decade or two in our country because of circumstances, because of the way that um, things have been mismanaged and um, corruption, etc. Your wealth is dependent on a lot of other things. So beware. Don't, don't put your, wealth, uh, your trust in your wealth. And then there's a, even a, a bigger concern, and that is that wealth can be destructive. Money can be destructive to your faith. Read with me in First um, Timothy chapter 6 from verse 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich 
fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I just want to point out that it doesn't say the love of money is the root of all evil. It says it's a root of evil. So just to reinforce that the Bible is also very optimistic about money and that if, it's, if we use it right, that it can be a very good thing. But it says that if we love money, that is a root of evil. So it's trying to say we must have a balanced view of, of money and that um, in the right place it can be an amazing thing. But beware, because if we love money, it can ruin our, our faith. It can be destructive to our relationship with God. Like it says here, they have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then another warning about wealth. The uncertainty of wealth is that it, it can't do the most important things. Money can't save your relationships. It can't, it can't bring back someone um, who you've broken a relationship with. It can't heal all sicknesses. Right? Money won't give you meaning in life. The most important things your money can't do for you. So, so beware. Rather, as, as um, Paul is instructing here, let's put our hope in God. It says, I just want to read here in the end of verse 17, put their hope in God. This is the other side of the command, right? We're talking about commands. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We have a father who provides for us not just the, the bare minimum that we need to live, but he provides for us richly and for our enjoyment. A, father, a father's first concern is to provide for his family. And when you're providing for your family, you're not just trying to give them the bare minimum to sustain life. You want to, to give your children what they need for their enjoyment, that they can flourish and that they can have a good life. Uh, that's the heart of a father, and that is the father that we also have. We have a father who loves us and who wants to give us everything that we need. Right? And Jesus talk, uh, talked about this in, in Luke 12, and he, he gave us this beautiful picture, saying that remember that you have a father who knows what you need, what you need and that you gave this picture of, of birds and flowers, saying that look at the birds, because they don't sow nor reap, but your Father feeds them. And look at the flowers, they don't toil or spin, but your Father clothes them. Right? And, and, and this picture of birds and flowers is just so beautiful to me, because it's almost this kind of light-hearted forgetfulness of need. Right? Like a child, 
Children don't stress about where the next meal is going to come from. They're running around playing, enjoying their lives because they have a father who provides for them. And I think that is the kind of trust that God is inviting us into. To say, stop stressing so much about your provision, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. You know, where is it going to come from? Because you have a father who knows what you need. And you can enjoy his goodness. You can enjoy his provision. He provides for us richly. So let's rather put our trust in, in God than in money. And in our own ability to to manage it and to somehow work for our own provision. And, um, yeah, I just want to quickly mention there's a lot to be said about stewardship. And this is not that sermon. Okay. (laughs) So keep keep that for another day. All right. Being good stewards of the the jobs and the opportunities and the um, money that God entrusts to us. Amen. Let's be good stewards. But this is a different sermon. Amen. Okay. (laughs) Wow, the time is flying. I hope you're also having fun. I'm having a great time. So let's um, ask ourselves some diagnostic questions just really quickly on this first point of just understanding where our relationship is with God and money. And ask yourself, does your heart hope and love money? Does, does it hope in money? Does it love money? And are you content with what you have? Paul, again, just a bit earlier in this chapter, verse 6 and 8, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Notice the food and clothing, like the birds and the flowers. Are you content? Are you, are, are you content with what God has given you? And are you able to give? And, you know, for some of us, giving, you know, a, maybe a tenth of your income doesn't really make that much of a difference. But can you give to a point where it actually impacts you? Can you give to a point where maybe it t- affects your lifestyle, where there are certain things that you have to give up because you are giving it away. Can, can we do that? And can we still be content with what we have? So, yeah, reflect on those questions. And let's, let's ask ourselves, where is my heart when I relate to God and money? Okay, so moving along swiftly. Second point. Uh, the, we give because it is the fruit of the right relationship with God. So let's quickly read verse 18 again, taking it verse by verse. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So here we have a second command. And the command is to do good and to be generous. Why? Because when, when we give, when we do good and we are generous, when we give, we are becoming like God. Like God provides for us, and when we give, we can become like Him by giving. And, and we do it in response to Him. He's given to me, and now I can give back to Him by giving to others. And we'll talk about where. So that's the, the first reason. And then 
It says, so that we can be rich in good deeds. Not just rich in money, but actually rich in good deeds. Um, like our Father, who is rich in goodness and so generous to us. So let's be rich in good deeds. Then, the second thing about a command. He has to command us because this isn't natural for us. Right? Being generous isn't natural. Like Martin Luther described the human character as being curved in on itself. It's like we, we can't escape the gravity of our own self-interest. And, and that is what, what giving helps us to do. It helps us to escape that pull of self-interest. But it has to be commanded because... Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. We would spend everything that we have on ourselves and just indulge ourselves with, with all the good things that God has given us. But we need grace. Right? This is not something that, that we can do ourselves. Like Paul commends the Macedonian church, and he says that God gave them grace so that even in their poverty, they were able to, to give and they were able to give abundantly and richly and even above their own abilities. So we need, we need that, that grace. And if it's of grace and not of our own ability, then it means even those who are not rich can give. Right? Because it's the, whether or not we give doesn't depend on whether or not we have a lot of money in the bank. Whether or not we give depends on whether or not God has given us grace. So let's ask him for that, for that grace to give. And then what does it look like? What is this command of doing good, being generous, willing to share? What does it look like? Let's get a bit more practical. Well, Jesus spoke about feeding the hungry, quenching the thirsty, um, hosting strangers, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, visiting the prisoners. These are some of the, the examples he gave. And if you think about these it's going to require your time. It's going to require some money. It's going to require patience and uh, a lot of emotional energy. It's, it's going to cost us, church. Doing what Jesus said is going to cost us. But our, but our reward will be from Him. Even if those that we are serving are not grateful or don't respond the way that, that we want them to respond. Um, some of you know this, but in 2020, just before we first went into lockdown, I had a, a guest living in my house through Airbnb. And then when lockdown happened, he became stuck there. And we thought, remember, we thought it's going to be three weeks and it's over, right? Then the virus is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, look where we are today. But um, so this guy was there and we... And, very, very quickly, his money started running out, um, and pretty soon he became dependent on me, not just for um, accommodation, but more and more for food. And um, he was not an easy person to get along with, and we clashed a lot. And at the end of the day, he was there for almost four months. It was a difficult time for me. <laughs> at, and... The reason I'm telling you is because there's no testimony. 
There wasn't any breakthrough. No one got saved. No one got healed. He didn't miraculously get his business back. There was no testimony, and it was difficult. And I'm, I'm telling you this story because doing good, being rich in good deeds, is not always going to be easy. But our reward is from Jesus. Right? He's the one that's going to look at us and say, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a prisoner, and you visited me. Our reward is from Him. Amen. So let's, let's get even a bit more practical. The Bible talks about three kinds of giving. The first is tithes. Right? Malachi 3 verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse so that there may be food in my house. So your tithe, that is, that is a tenth, right? A tenth of your income. And where, where are you supposed to bring it? To your home church. So I think for most of us here, members of Shofar Johannesburg, it means this church. This is why I said I'm not on the payroll, right? Okay? Because this is, this is where we get fed. The, the purpose of the tithe in the temple was that the priests and the Levites, that was how they um, got their living. They didn't have their own land. They couldn't earn their own money um, or, you know, they couldn't grow their own crops they, had, they were dependent on the tithes of the people. And likewise, our full-time staff in church have given up other careers that they could have pursued, and instead they've decided to dedicate themselves to the ministry of the gospel and to building the kingdom. So therefore it's right that we should support um, the church and support our leaders. So on the one hand, it's, it's to pay salaries, but it's also to carry out the ministry, whatever, whatever that looks like. Right? The, the temple was also a place where, where ministry happened. There were musicians. There was all kinds of things going on there. So that's what, what our tithes do. It, it funds, in a sense, the furtherance of the kingdom of God. So that's tithes. So then the next one is offerings. Right? The Bible talks about offerings or free will offerings. And this is something that's over and above your tithe, right? And it's not a compulsory thing. It is a free will thing from your own heart given to God. So there's, a, there's this beautiful story that where Jesus is sitting in the temple, and he's sitting and he's watching the offering box. And he's watching all the wealthy bring their, their money and putting it into the box, lots of money. And, and then there's this poor widow who comes and she puts in a tiny amount of money. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I, I tell you, these, this poor widow gave more than all the others. They gave from their wealth and from their surplus, but she, from her poverty, gave everything she had. Yeah. I mean, that's worship. Right? That's giving to God. I'm sure she knew that the two small copper coins that she put in the offering box that day wasn't going to make a difference to the temple finances. Right? And I think that we need to understand about widows that they, in, in a male-dependent society, if you had no children to look after you, a widow was one of the most destitute people. So she really had nothing. 
And those two copper coins definitely weren't a tithe either because she would have no income. But it was an offering to God from the heart. So if you're giving offerings, that is something that you're giving over and above your tithe from your heart, giving to God. So whether that is in church or elsewhere, wherever you can say, I'm giving it to God, that would be an offering. And then the third one is alms. Now, alms are specifically giving to the poor. And that might be directly give, helping someone directly with their needs, or it could be through some other organization. Right? If it's in church, the way that, that we always uh, recommend that we support one another is through the body serve ministry. There's a specific bank account for that. And the reason is very simple, twofold. On the one hand, Jesus said that when we give, we should do it in secret. Left hand not knowing what your right hand is doing. But the other reason is also very practical. Money can complicate our relationships. I don't want person X to look at me as the one that's going to provide for them. So I'll rather work through the body serve ministry to help that person. So speak to Rochelle or Mezen or anyone at the office if you want to specifically serve the needs in our body. Right? Because we're a, we're a family and God's provision always works through family. Right? He's the father. He's establishing a family. And, and that is often how he provides for us. Amen. Amen. And then I just want to say be wise when you give. Helping a good organization is much more effective than giving someone at a traffic light money in their hand. I know everyone has a different story, and I think we should stop and listen and engage with people and hear what their stories are. But when you give, you might be enabling someone to stay on the street and um, continue in the lifestyle that got them there in the first place. And you'll be doing more good by supporting an organization that, that actually works with people in those situations. So let's be wise. And maybe this is just my view. Claim back the tax benefit, right? <laughs> if, it's a, if, it's, if it's a registered charity, claim back that from tax so that you can be more generous next time. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the tax sermon is also a different one. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's get to the last point. When we give, giving helps us to lay a firm foundation for the future age. Quickly read verse 19 again. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I'm just basking in the alliteration there. Can't, we can't take our wealth with us, but we can transfer it. And we can't take our, our wealth to heaven. We can transfer it. That being rich in good works, being rich in good deeds, that is how we lay up a treasure for ourselves in the coming age, in the future age. And Jesus warned us that our lives does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Right? The life that is truly life is not a life of, of abundance of possessions. 
And then he went on to tell the parable of the rich fool. And he concluded to say that having wealth without a rich relationship with God means nothing. So the life that is truly life is having a rich relationship with God. And that is what we, what we should strive for. And when we put our hope firmly in God, that's where we cultivate that relationship. And giving is going to help us to do that. Right? You, you need to, to let go of our hope in, in, in our wealth and our hope in other things in order to take hold of life with God, in order to take hold of that eternal life. There are things that we'll have to let go, and putting our hope in the wrong things is the first that we need to let go of. Now, the practice of giving is not going to earn you eternal life, but it is going to help us to get a firm grip on eternal life by helping us to sort out our relationship with God and money. So, so let's, um, yeah, let's really make this a priority in our lives to, to take hold of the life that is truly life. Now you might be saying, Aina, how, how do I do this? this? This all sounds quite overwhelming. But please read with me 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. The way that we do this is by looking to Jesus. This is the very last slide. There we go. So, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus was rich. He was rich in relationship with God. He had the perfect relationship with God. And that's what he, what he gave up. He became poor so that we can be rich in this way, rich in our relationship with God. We were in complete destitution, completely alienated from God, completely impoverished. And Jesus gave up his wealth of relationship with God, completely gave it up to the point where he was hanging on the cross and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? giving up his wealth, becoming poor so that we can be rich. So, so this is how we key in our hearts, key your heart into this thing, that you look to Jesus and how he gave up everything in, in order to have relationship with us. And let's take hold of that. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.